0: Thank yeah. you. Episode number forty two of Bill and Dave's excellent podcast is underway. My name is Dave. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Bill and Dave Show, Instagram at Bill and Dave Show, or like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash The Bill and Dave Show. You can also drop us an email, Bill and Dave Show at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, you're subscribing and rating as well. Uh, We got a big show lined up for you today. You know, if your Facebook feed and Twitter feed is anything like mine, you know, it's filled up with. A lot of political drama, and all we hope to do here is maybe take you away from some of that and give you a half hour to an hour of um, a laugh, maybe. Definitely some interviews with some interesting people. Today's show, we got Gene Feliz, a director out of the UK, calling in. He's got a new movie coming out called Cain Hill. It's a horror flick. Those of you who like horror flicks, or even if you don't, you're going to love this one. Um, The trailer just got released the other day. It looks awesome. We also have calling in... Katie Culliton and Katie O'Brien—they're from the show Teachers on TV Land. And correct me if I'm wrong. weren't you also in the Katie Dids improv group here in Chicago?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we started as an improv and sketch group in Chicago.
0: Absolutely, I, I kind of remember this because I, I did the uh, IO training, um, gosh, back in 2012, and I specifically remember seeing uh, seeing you guys. Um, it was kind of unique because there's not really a whole lot of a, a whole lot of um. Of, of ensembles that are that are that are all women which was i thought was really cool and then all of your names were some variation of katie which was also pretty unique
1: yeah it's kind of weird that's how the group started um we all ha- basically have the same name and uh caitlin barlow put the group together and she just Noticed a bunch of women in her improv classes and around the community that were really funny named Katie, and that's kind of how we all got together.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, first of all, congratulations on the show. I've, I've been watching it. I've been trying to, to catch up. I'm a little bit behind. I haven't gotten to the second season, but uh, congratulations on, on the show, Teachers. It's really good. Oh, thank you. That's thank nice. you. So, so did did that come out of uh, come out of doing sketch improv? The idea for this, or is this something that you I I know you did some some uh, maybe some shorts on online, uh, but but did this did this come from you know sometimes you get ideas from you know you do an improv um, scene and then something like this grows out of it, or is this something totally uh, different that you guys put together?
1: Um, a director from Chicago, Matt Miller, who is now an executive producer of Teachers, is the one who brought us the original idea of Teachers. We had done a lot of um, shorts online, like kind of one-off videos, and we were looking to do a web series, and Matt approached us saying um, that he thought it would be a good idea if we explored Teachers, because we all kind of looked like Teachers. None of us, all of us looked like, <laughs> we were cardigans in our improv shows, so we weren't necessarily the typical improviser. Um, and so he kind of brought this idea and then we kind of jumped on it, loving the idea of, you know, exploring ele- uh, elementary school again and that you can get a, the comedy of working with children and, and, you know, saying things that are go above their heads. That's, that's
0: awesome. Now, was it made specifically, was it, was TV land involved from the beginning as well? Or did you guys have to shop this around a little bit?
1: They were. We um, were really, really lucky. Like Katie said, Matt, you know, came to us and said, have you guys ever thought about doing a web series about teaching? And when we did the web series, you know, we just created it for ourselves, and it was something really fun that we wanted to release. And then we were really lucky that um, at the time, or we still are with an agency out here in L.A. called William Morris Endeavor. And um, we were talking about packaging the show to sell to different networks and around that time when we were getting ready to go out and pitch, TV Land called and said that they were looking for something that was female-driven, kind of a workplace comedy, kind of like a workaholics or a broad city. Sure. And uh, WME was like, well, we have teachers and they watched it and offered us a pilot deal um, off the web series. So we we were really, really lucky in the sense that that's kind of how we got hooked up with them.
0: That's it's it's really kind of amazing if you look at their line of uh of shows you guys fit. it fits right in there it's just it's kind of uh, it's so different than anything else i've seen right so like when when they say like a female driven uh show i i think that there's probably a lot of guys that maybe get intimidated by that there's going to be like a lot of man bashing but my god is it so funny it's so funny so well written is there is it pretty much um are, is a lot of it scripted, or are you guys improvising at all?
1: We improvise in the writers' room a lot. Okay, that's where our main improv is is that like while we're writing, we jump up and improvise different scenes or different ideas. But we always do have a full script, and when we're on shooting, we get that first. Um, depending on time, we'll sometimes do an improv take on set, but that's usually dependent on if we're running on schedule or not. Um, but yeah, in the improv room, or in the writers' room, we improvise a lot.
0: Is is it um? Gosh, it seems like there. I can't imagine a more a more fun place to be in, in than in a writing room for for a, a mm-hmm. show like s- something like this. You guys must have a good time in there. I would imagine. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. we have a blast. Mm-hmm. It's it's <laughs> cool because our writers room is predominantly female. We have um, all women, and then we have our two showrunners, Ian Roberts and Jay Martell, who come from Key and Peele and. UCB and are amazing Um, and we love them dearly but they are the two men in the room along with one of our writer's assistants Aaron and uh, so it's great because all we do is is you know kind of bring I guess what's what I'm looking for we we have to educate them on a lot of things blow their minds a lot my favorite thing in the world is when well, the six of us will be talking like something that we all just know you know that it's like this is how it is and ian will stop and go whoa 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 what <laughs> it's like you know something that women just make you know them assumed everyone knows this and um it's always fun to see them be completely confused and bewildered
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so that's um that, that's Another kind of interesting thing about this is it seemed like, and maybe I read the credits wrong, but it looked like Allison Bree was uh, got a producer credit. How, how did she get involved with this as well?
1: Um, WME set us up with her when when they first approached us about packaging um, the show. They had suggested we get um, an executive producer on board who has you know a little bit more experience, and so we had met with Allison and felt like she was the seventh Katie. Did. We just immediately. <laughs> You know, connected. She felt like one of us, and so she came on board. And yeah, she's one of our executive producers, and she's been great. She's in our pilot episode.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I, I. I just saw because I started getting into that show community too. So I thought that was kind of funny that she popped up on this too. I was like, wow, that's a small world. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. from so from a performance standpoint, right? I mean, you know, I have a little bit of an improv background, but no, no, you know, obviously i wasn't that good at it but i really have an appreciation for it so so to be able to to come out and and, and go on stage and really create something from nothing and allow you know or or a suggestion or a couple suggestions um how how is how do you how do you guys like working on a show like this as opposed to uh, performing live i know it's two completely different things but um do you have a preference on on which maybe you, you like better
1: It's interesting. I had never, Katie, I might have a different experience, um, but I really hadn't done a lot of on-camera stuff. Like I, you know, had shot shorts and stuff like that, but almost all of my experience was on stage. And so getting in front of a camera the first time was really weird because a every choice I made was way too big. It was like (laughs) bizarrely big. And um, totally inappropriate and B you would be, you know, saying the lines, but you're not getting any verbal response at right. all. And so on stage, you know, you get that feedback and you start to get that adrenaline rush. And then on camera, you know, you say your line and then they call cut and then everybody's just dead silent. And so it's like, well, okay, I guess that works. <laughs> so it's, it's harder to engage. I feel like that was a big learning curve and to kind of get used to that was a little bit different.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can no, I agree.
1: Because I, yeah, because it's, like, it's, it's fun about the show that we created our own characters, so there's some confidence that comes with that. But yeah, there's nothing, it took some adjustment to go from being on stage and getting an immediate response and then being behind the camera and, and feeling like you were, like, doing a good job at no one responding. And it's like, oh, it really needs to question itself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's that's an interesting thing too. You bring, you bring up uh, you know character choices. Uh, you know the the characters in, in the show are, are 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 pretty pretty strong characters. I, I would say you know the are mm-hmm. they are they like a variation of yourselves or is it?
1: Yeah, I, I play yeah, so I, I think she's a pretty big departure for me in the sense that she's promiscuous and a complete bitch. But um, but there are similarities. It, but if you started from a place of like. I really wanted a very insecure teacher who had a desperate need to be liked, which is something I can relate to. We just kind of went in a different direction with her of vanity and narcissism. But there's definitely overlap because like, I'm obsessed with pop culture and spend way too much time watching trash TV. <laughs> and that is a huge part of my <laughs> math life. So, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's weird. Some of us are more like our characters, and others are, are pretty big departures. Yeah, like I would say. Colleton's character is nothing like her character Miss Snap Um, and uh, yeah like they're like Katie said like we kind of started with like these tiny parts of us that were true and really expanded them to kind of blow them out
0: sure sure that's I I think uh, I I think it's a good mix like they're they're just kind of they're kind of all over the place on the on you know you have six different teachers really and <laughs> Each one of them just kind of has their own, has their own little. Uh, um, they have their own. It's it's just kind of it's hard to explain. You got you guys got to watch it. It's just uh, <laughs> it's it's <Yeah>. hilarious.
1: <laughs> well, so, well, some of the things I'm most proud of about the show is that I really love like almost every person I talk to has a different favorite character or a different like episode they love, and that's what gets me excited. because the six of us are so different and have different comedic sensibilities. Our characters are really different, but they're also and they're crazy, and you know we love to go heightened, but they're also grounded. So when you watch the show, I think you should be able to relate to every character a little bit, at least in the sense of like one character you probably personally relate to. Someone might be your best friend. Someone might be, you know, the girl in the sorority who you hated. <laughs> um, but you know, it, that's always the biggest compliment to me when people watch the show and say like, "Oh, this character reminded me of this, and this character reminded me of this person I know." That's, I think that's one of the fun things
0: about having an ensemble yeah I think I think it it, it comes through I I was trying to figure out because you guys really kind of push push the envelope a little bit and I like that I think it's uh yeah. it's yeah you know it's I, I love stuff that's edgy and you kind of go right to the edge and you don't really go you don't really push past it which I, I like that too you know it's not raunchy or anything like that but um, when I, I I wonder when when you get that are there, do do they kind of give you your like free reign creative like creatively, or do they is there a lot of red tape you have to go through to get stuff in?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. we um we could not have a better partnership than we do with TV land. They have literally given us complete creative control. And you know, at first, we kind of found ourselves thinking you know, like, well, we should make the show more catered to TV land or what we thought TV land was. And then they came back and they were like, no, 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 please go as far as you want. Be as edgy as you want. Um, Just be yourselves." That's really what we're buying. And um, they've been unbelievably supportive. And um, if anything, you know, have encouraged us to kind of go further and, you know, really create the show that's ours. So we could not be luckier than to be at a network that feels
0: that way that's awesome i would never think tv land like when i when i when i heard the show and i heard it was on tv land i was just i, I don't know why i don't know if it's our i always think of tv land like uh roseanne reruns you know but you look at the lineup <laughs> and they, there's some cool stuff i mean they got uh, lopez you know george lopez show it's got they have some really cool original shows on there so it's a good it's a good lineup and you guys fit in there perfectly um
1: yeah, yeah. it's been a cool like they've got a lot of cool stuff coming on the pipeline too you know like when we first were when we first were like looking to sell the show we did not immediately think of tv land you know we obviously were huge fans of the channel exactly like the reason you said you know they i love lucy and the mary Tyler moore show and right. all these great classics and when they first came to us um they had said you know we're completely rebranding we're going in a totally new direction and you know they have younger which is created by Darren Starr, who created Sex and the City, and um, they've got this new show coming up that Melissa McCarthy is behind, called Nobody's. That's all about the Groundlings Theater, um, and they have Heather's, a reboot of Heather's, coming down the line. So they've got some pretty cool stuff coming up.
0: That's awesome! What what a cool thing to be a part of, you know? I think that's uh, that's, that's speaks a lot to to the work you guys put in, and and just uh, it's it's cool that they wanted you to be a part of this it's really awesome um can i touch on a couple of people that uh did you had some cameos at least in the first season i think in the second season too and i I don't want to give too much away but uh you had some people on i'm just interested to get your take on on what it was like working with with some of these I saw them and you know there are people that everybody loves and uh when you get somebody like like uh rob cordry or rob riggle those two guys um you know, Rob Rob Riggle especially. I think he was in the second or third episode of the of the first season. He was like Picture Day. I think was the episode. Um, I was laughing my butt off when when you get some like is, is it how, how do you get connected with like a Rob Riggle to, to how do you get him to do the show?
1: A lot of our um, guest stars uh, come from our showrunner Ian Roberts. You know he's one of the founders of CB at Break Citizens Brigade, and so he has a ton of comedy connections, um, and so he's really helped us out with that. I think both Little and Rob Corddry came from him, I believe. I could, I could be wrong, but um, but yeah, and it was also, what's cool about our show is that, I don't know if I should be saying this, but basically, but basically like, anyone who guest stars on our show is doing it because they want to be part of the show. We don't have a ton of money, and we don't have a ton of resources to provide them with, but because we're a, low, a, a lower-budget show... But, so they're coming on board, and they're really, because they really support the show, which is awesome. You know, like, it was really great. Rob Kirby could not have been nicer. He came on set and said he thought it was so exciting to see all of us creating and writing our own show, and that, you know, he loved it, and was there to do whatever we wanted him to do. And it was just so cool to have this guy that I've watched forever, and has kind of been a comedy hero of mine, come on, come on our own set and be, like, totally up for anything, game for anything, and and... And Riddle was the same.
0: That's awesome. Now, those parts were they written for with those people in mind, or was it just uh, all right? We have a character. Oh, you know who would be good? Um, you know, Rob Corddry would be awesome for this guy if we can get him.
1: I think uh, it depends. Rob Corddry, though. I think it was really. I think it was kind of written for him. I know. I know he was our first choice, and we like talked about him for a long time. So when he said yes, we all freaked out. Um, I personally freaked out because I got the... Um, kiss him, which was
0: really <laughs> <laughs> Um, This one is, what I thought, was really interesting. Haley Joel Osment. How did that one come? How did you get? Uh, who would have even? I mean, he's. I've seen him in some things. He's, he's good, but I just. I would have never thought, out of a million people, that he would be one that would be on the show. And I thought
1: they. <laughs> yeah, he came about in a really interesting way. So we obviously were huge fans of his. Um, you know, because he has such an amazing canon of work, and we absolutely were just big fans, and uh, when we were looking to cast, so Haley plays um, Deb Adler's husband on the show, and when we were looking to cast the role, at first we did not think of him at all, like he just wasn't in our thoughts, we were thinking of very like rocker heavy dude, Um, and our casting director actually was like, you should see Haley, (laughs) and so he put himself on tape, and um she emailed it to us and we all were like oh my he was amazing he's perfect the role (laughs) and we were like oh my gosh yeah we have to have him like we were so honored that he would even think to do the show um and then he was so great on top of it so it was a win-win so he was so so great he's the nicest guy he was totally down to do whatever um he was awesome
0: that's cool that i I thought that was just the coolest thing i'm like holy cow how did they get how did they get Haley? that's (laughs) just i I thought it was perfect perfect for the role um so um one more thing just going back to um performing an improv uh you guys all at one point or another did some time did a did some time in chicago uh, was it difficult to get everybody to be able to move out to LA? I know when you have six people and everybody's kind of do they have their own lives and doing their own things. Was it tough getting everybody to make that move? That's a, that's a pretty big move. And um, know sometimes it do, it doesn't work. It seems like you guys you guys made it work somehow.
1: Yeah, well, actually, it was lucky kind of how it worked out because O'Brien uh, uh, and I, but were the two that actually moved to L.A. before this deal happened. Like, we shot the web series in Chicago, and then O'Brien moved to L.A. first, just because we both were kind of ready to move to L.A. We both, you know, wanted to be writer-actors. Um, we wanted to work in TV and film. And so we had moved out, and um, then the show kind of, then the show sold, and WME got involved and stuff like that. And so it was really great, because the two of us were the ones who'd been, like, in L.A. I think O'Brien had you've been here for like a year and I've been here six months or something like that when the show sold so it was really great and then other girls came once the show had sold so there was like a reason to move Charlie and they had you know they had a job so they felt very comfortable moving here
0: oh gotcha yeah I just because I was trying to think I'm like man that's I know that's not easy with you know like you said everybody's got different things going to get six people to be able to do that but well that makes that way that makes a lot more sense then so you guys went out there and kind of got it going and the other and they were able to make it out that's awesome and they were able to keep the band together
1: (laughs) i know it was funny though because um caitlin barlow actually like was teaching like she was a teacher when we sold the show and um so she like literally like left teaching to come do this show about teaching oh that's funny and um yeah, her, like, imp- like you know, coworkers had no idea that she was performing um, at night and doing improv, and so she told her principal, she was like, you know, I'm going to move out to L.A., like, we sold this show, and I'm going to do this, and the principal was like, oh, okay, like, I'll make an announcement and let everybody know at the faculty meeting at the end of the year, and uh, so the principal, without any context, just announced um, and a fond farewell to Caitlin, who's moving to Hollywood to become a movie star, and everybody just thought she was so insane like she just decided (laughs) in her 30s to pick up and move and so yeah she actually like literally was teaching right up until we shot the pilot she had like this job as a teacher um so i think it was probably a little bit harder for her to give up kind of this job teaching to play one on tv
0: that's awesome what you know at least um I'll bet you she she can she brings some level of realism to the character that I'm sure that's funny. Um, so yeah. I um, I don't want to keep you. I just want I want to I want to make sure we get the plugs out. Um, you can see teachers on TV Land Tuesday nights nine uh, o'clock central ten o'clock eastern. You guys just started season two. Um, how's the feedback been? Good, great. It's been great. We've
1: gotten a, a series high. <laughs> And each episode the ratings have gone up so we are very very um, very very happy
0: with response it's been awesome well I'll tell you it's a uh, it's a great show I, I recommend it to anyone who who's looking for something to watch I mean you can I mean any I was watching it on the TV land app um, but we'll be I'll be t it so um, easy to get you can find it anywhere Um can check them out. Uh, check out the check, check out the Katy dids too. Uh, the Katy and at the Katy on Twitter. Um, anything else to look forward to? It looks like you got some stuff coming and, up in March. Maybe I'll ask. The, uh, any 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 plans to come back to Chicago anytime
1: soon? We hope so. We love coming back to Chicago. We um it still, you know, feels very much like home for all of us. So hopefully we'll be back. Um, but right now we're just finishing up season two and um kind of waiting to see what's in store next.
0: That's awesome. Well, best of luck to you guys and, and congratulations again on, on a really a great show. Really it's 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 hilarious. So uh you're making Chicago yeah. proud out there. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you so much, um, and best of luck.
1: Thanks for having Uh, us so
0: much. All right. Bye. Well, there you have it. Katie Culleton and Katie O'Brien from the very funny show, Teachers. It's on TV Land, 9 o'clock here in Chicago, Tuesday nights. Uh, But check your local listings. Make sure you support uh, the people we have on this show. Not that they need our help. I mean, they're fine on their own, but... Uh, It would mean a lot to us, mean a lot to them, and um, I I tell you, it's a great show. Don't sleep on this one. Uh, Let's go back to the phones. All right, calling in all the way from across the pond, director Gene Feliz. He's got a movie coming out in April called Cain Hill. It's a horror flick. Uh, Gene, thank you so much for calling in, sir. No worries. Thank you for having me. Glad to be on the show. Um, Before we get into Cain Hill, which I know the trailer just released, um, I wanted to talk to you because... You really fascinate me because you're a very, you're you're a young guy. I mean, we're not too too far apart in age, but you yeah. really got started young. You want to talk about a go getter? Uh, is it true that you started in radio broadcasting when you were just fourteen?
2: That's right. Yeah, I started in, in hospital radio, um, which is certainly a big thing uh, here in the UK, and uh, it's the way that that most people get started in um, in radio broadcasting over here. I don't know how it is uh, over there so much um but uh yeah started in, in hospital broadcasting and um, started as a uh, you know collecting requests for the uh, for the patients things like that uh and then went out I got my own show and then uh, and then gradually worked into into management for the for the for the small station And yeah, kind of progressed from there, really.
0: Yeah, seventeen, and and, you know, you you do some research. You never know what's true online, but looks like at seventeen you were vice chairman of the station.
2: (laughs) Is that true? That's right. Yeah, it is true. It was in fact the first business trip I was ever 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 put on was when I was uh, made vice president, uh, vice chairman of the the station, Um, and so they they put me on a plane, um, and you know, it was all expenses paid trip to uh, to come over and, and kind of get get sign up for the role basically uh it was really good you know 17 years old that's a, that's a really kind of cool thing to to happen and uh, and it was really good because uh, you know I'd, I'd always i'd really enjoyed radio and there'd been a lot of the, the, the station at the time was fairly stagnant so i was kind of a, a fresh voice and face if you like you know so i had some some ideas that I would be really good to kind of make it slightly more you know just update it a bit. And I think that was what really appealed to them. And, and since then, you know, since they kind of really changed the, the station around. And, and that station, though, I've not worked at it for years, has still carried on strong since then.
0: Oh wow, that's that's awesome! So then, the, yeah. the question is: is uh, how how do you make the jump from uh, radio broadcasting into filmmaking?
2: Um, it, it, with all, I've, I've made two kind of major transitions in my career, and they've both been fairly they've, they've felt fairly natural. Um, The first one is, say, from radio. Um, So so after I did hospital radio, I then went um, to do more commercial radio um, over here, and then I went for a spell of working for the BBC. Um, And I was kind of really fine and happy with radio. Um, And then I had an opportunity to start doing television production. So for a little while, I was kind of straddling both. I was doing uh, radio production, um, including doing some, some links for the Cannes Film Festival, um, which first got my interest in film. Um, but then it was it was kind of, as I say, in between radio and TV, doing t- TV work at the weekends on a, on a horse racing show for Channel 4 here um, while still doing the radio work. And then as more and more TV work kind of came up, the radio work kind of gradually started to get less and less
0: sure. as
2: TV, you know, called out to me a little bit more. Um, and then I, I did that for for a few years exclusively for TV uh and then the same thing with film it was it was a you know an opportunity there in film and and as soon as that happened, it was just like this is way better than t v you know <laughs> yeah so, uh, so and that was it it was it was another kind of transition where I was doing the t v work you know to pay the bills to work before as I was working my way into film and then carried on from there really
0: that's that's awesome i think I think um one of the one of the first credits that, as I was just kind of looking over, um, you know, your resume, and, and and again for a young guy, this resume is just very extensive. But I look at it, and and you you, you were an executive producer uh, on Airborne, and and that would kind, kind of that would kind of intrigue me because this is back in two thousand two, um, you know, Mark Hamill's involved in that project, uh. Ju- yep. Julian Glover Bill Murray I mean those are some big names yep. That's, were you intimidated at all being a part of that project
2: no not at all I'd, I'd worked with um, several of the people involved beforehand um, and many of the students as well but um, but the uh, the main producer on that Simon Phillips um, in fact asked me to, to come on board and as soon as he mentioned it was, you know, a thriller that takes place on a plane, you know, that straight away, I was excited. That, you know, there's several kind of projects and, and genres that you can, you can pitch to me. That one was one of the ones that I'm just like, I'm on. I don't care what happens from here, I'm on. <laughs> um, and uh, so he, he gave me the script, and, and at that point, it kind of became a bit real because I was, I'm a bit, I could be a bit anally retentive some things, and I was just like, hang on. You know, I don't mind that there's this weird, mysterious thing going on in this plane, but let's make it real. Right. And uh, and so, so I, I went through the uh, the script and just made a few suggestions and things that that got changed, um, just to make certain things a little bit clearer and take some of the the really crazy stuff out because uh, there was just some bits that just weren't weren't right. And uh, I a lot of it, a lot of it, kept in the script, which was quite cool as well because you know it's it's one thing to to be a producer and raise some money and things like that, but it's 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 quite cool sometimes to you know know you've had an input. In the story, you know, especially something that was fairly late on before production. You know, the story was well was was kind of well established, and we already had some of the uh, the other crew members involved. So it was nice to be able to have that kind of input on that before it actually went into production.
0: Right, right. Um, and and then uh, moving on from that, uh, another thing mm-hmm. that I found very interesting was uh, you yeah. did a, a film of uh, Superman Requiem. Oh, uh, now here, yeah. here in the states, I don't know if it was that well known, but I was doing some research on that, and uh, I got to think as 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 a young as a as a young guy, and and it seems like everybody mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's a part of your production company, uh, Cupsog Pictures. I th- mm-hmm. it, it seems like that's a big undertaking because I'm sure there's 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 rights you have to you have to I'm sure you have to pay for to get the the Superman you know name and logo and
2: all that but it seemed
0: like you were really a fan and you got it done.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a labor of love. It had to be, to be honest, <laughs> because uh, this, was before, this was after Superman Returns and before Man of Steel. And I think everything kind of fell into place at the right kind of time. Um, Warner Brothers were, were feeling things out because Superman Returns didn't go down as well as they wanted it to, so they right. wanted to make sure they got Man of Steel right. And um, so I think they were they were a bit unsure of which direction to take it. You know, do they stick with the, the Dick Donner Donnerverse or do they go completely, you know, take a fresh angle on it? And, um, and I think it all kind of came about at the right time. And I was asked, you know, would you consider this was talking to my investor? He said, would you consider doing a Superman project? And I kind of laughed and he said, yeah, of course I would. <laughs> and they uh, said, well, well, you can. It's, it's an option because, you know, right there at the minute it's kind of on the cards. And this was kind of before fan films really Kind of got big in the way they are now, and they were pretty. The ones that had been done were very much under the radar, and studios really weren't friendly about them at all. Right. And uh, but this was the first one that we'd done, and it was it was uh, with the approval of one of others, and in a lot of consultation with them. So there was a awful lot of discussions um back and forth about how we would do the story, what we could and couldn't do, which elements we could and couldn't use which characters, which loads and loads of things, right down to what we could and couldn't use on the poster, uh, wow. what we couldn't use in the title, because there was for a long time they didn't want us to feature the word Superman in the title or the, the S emblem. You know, and, and at that point, I really had to kick my heels in, and it, even though it was Warner Brothers and say, look, I can't do a Superman film if you won't let me say it's a Superman film, right? which makes it kind of pointless. And so, so it needed a lot of work and things like that, which... It helped Warner Brothers, I think, because it taught them two things. First of all, it helped their fan film policy, which is now established. Um, it helped them kind of figure out how they were going to do that. Uh, because at that point, it was starting to run away. You know, they either had to support it or go against it. If they were going to go against it. That's a lot of work. And if they were going to support it, they at least wanted to have kind of a set of rules in place. Sure. So we were kind of guinea big for that. Um, and it also helped in a big way. Um, with the early development of what eventually became Man of Steel because um, I think a lot of the reaction that we had from um, Superman Requiem directly fed into, you know, they were reviewing that actively as to, you know, what what worked and didn't work. And so, you know, anything that fans would really like, they obviously took that on board. And anything that they didn't like, because um, Superman fans are the most vocal in the world, um, they also took that on board. And, you know, I think it, it, it made it pretty clear, certainly there was, there's the, the die-hard Donnerverse fans, um, which love the original Christopher Reeve movie. And then there's the ones that, you know, more mainstream comic book movie uh, fans, which aren't necessarily stuck on that. They just love the character. Right. And, and a lot of that came through, which is why they decided to go, you know, with the the Man of Steel, you know, let's, let's take a fresh perspective on this and not get hung up on the past. Right. Um, you know, so it was it was a learning curve for for everyone. You know, least of all me, because at that point, I'd not directed anything before. And I said, well, if I'm going to give this directing thing again, I'm going to go all out because I've I've never really been one to to kind of tread carefully in something and and kind of see how it goes. It's been kind of go at it and, and do your best. So I thought, well, if I'm if I'm going to fail, I may as well fail spectacularly. Right.
0: Um, but, uh, <laughs> but
2: thankfully, it didn't go too bad, and and it's been kind of going since then. So not not didn't go as as badly as it could have done i think all things considered (laughs)
0: well and and the thing that i really loved about this right because it takes a lot of guts that's that's a that's a big undertaking to do a superman Mm -hmm. film especially with the permission of warner brothers there's a lot of eyes on you and it's yeah it's a great opportunity for you as well and one, one thing i loved about this and uh because i'm sure you didn't have a budget of a man of steel right um, no, no,
2: no.
0: I, yeah, right. So I was, I was reading, uh, I was reading some of, some of the reviews of it and you know, like you yeah. said, there's some diehards and there's people that no matter what you do, they're not going to like it. And it's mm-hmm. funny because after a negative review, I saw, uh, Jack, uh, O'Halloran, uh, who was yep. non in Superman one and two and who you got to mm-hmm. uh, do a cameo in this one. He jumped on yep. there and took it upon himself to defend you and your work and the work of your team. And uh, I yep. just thought that was that was stunning, and it looks like he's doing some other projects with you. So now I'm curious, what was the uh, what's what's the relationship with Jack O'Halloran? How did you, how did you uh, how did you get connected with him?
2: Um, it was while we were um, in production of Superman Requiem, um, I reached out for contact to Jack directly, and uh, and I said, look, we're doing this um, this. Speaking on sound film, explained the whole thing, you know, it's it's in conjunction with Warner Brothers. Um and I said, you know, we really want to come make this as good as it can be for literally like no money, no real support, um, you know, just for 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 love and, and passion really. Um, would you be interested? And uh and given me Gee, Jack was great and straight away, didn't even hesitate. He said, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was, he was he's continued to be so supportive of, of everything that that I've done, but, but especially Superman, he really kind of, he, he defended that project, you know, more than, more than I defend it. And, uh, and you know, I think that's, that's great. It's such a nice guy, you know, especially considering, you know, he had a bit of a, a rough time at times when he was sh- shooting the Superman films originally. But yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a real cool, you know, kind of guy to be. It's a, a real a- aspiration, really, to, you know, think, I, that's kind of someone I'd like to, I'd like to have that attitude towards things you know, when I'm his agent in his position, I'd be I'd be pretty proud of myself if I was in that situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I just thought that was stunning. How cool for him to for him? I mean, on an IMDb on an IMDb message board of all things, you know, like who? I, I love people that 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 have never done anything and and never tried to produce a film or or make a film or been or acted in a film they're the first ones to rush to judgment about other people's work so i thought that was pretty cool of him yeah. to jump in um and then so moving on moving on to cane hill so I, I did a little mm-hmm. bit of research on this Now, obviously you know here here in chicago i i, I uh um I, i'm not too familiar with with the with with the story about Cain Hill, but I looked into it a little bit, and it looked like um, mm-hmm. it was a real hospital and a lunatic asylum. And you guys actually filmed there and had uh, two separate ministers um, bless the set before you began filming. Is is there any truth to that, or am I just reading internet
2: folklore? No, no, no. That's 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 all true. It's um it's based from from it, it's it's a number of of stories that we kind of amalgamated together um, to to come up with the, the the finished film, because as as you know, an individual story on its own, told completely to the truth, can end up being a bit of a disappointment to watch in in film terms. Which is why often with films like you know The Conjuring Two is a, a, a recent one where they'll 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 change events or, or or tweak things, the order of events, things like that, or you know squash different events together. And to to make it you know something that audiences are ultimately going to enjoy, and that's pretty much what we did with with Kane Hill. It was it's based the, the fundamental part is based on a a true place um, with um, a number of true events kind of all put together, and um, to make this kind of film, which hopefully people will find um, pretty interesting and and hopefully pretty pretty tense at times. Now uh, the actual
0: now again. I, I try not to believe everything I read on the internet, but the actual Cane Hill had a different spelling than in the movie. Was that like a uh, like a, a legal thing you had to work around, or or was it was there is that intentional?
2: No, that was that was an intentional thing. Um, the 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 name of the the asylum that she based on wasn't Cane Hill. Oh, um, it was it was an entirely different place altogether. But rather than drawing undue attention to the place, because what we didn't want is you know, if, it's, if it turns not to be successful, we don't want the, the existing place to, you know, become a bit of a uh, a touristy spot or anything like that. So we oh, changed right. the name. It was it was only after we did that we found out that there was one which ended up becoming one of the kind of elements of our story. But there was one actually pretty nearby, not not far from London, with the spelling c a n e instead of c a i n yeah uh, which was which was kind of cool because that was something that we found out literally only a couple of weeks after we started you know we we'd come out with a plot line and we said okay this is we're, we're going to move into production It was only after that that we found out about this while the script was still well in development, uh, but it did give us another kind of angle to go on because we were able to pull some some elements from that one as well so it's yeah it's it's, it's one of those fun things that you find out afterwards that then kind of makes you feel a little bit creeped
0: out <laughs> right right <laughs> so so uh um you know having a production company and obviously uh, i i think your production company had, had a lot to do with this how, how does that work mm-hmm. is there a script that you find and you're like yes i'll do it um or or is that just is that built from your production company from 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 ground one you guys wrote it and everything
2: it, it depends which project it is. We've got some where um, we've done exactly that, where it comes literally from the ground up. It'd um, be one of us that comes up with an idea and that we'll we'll develop it from there. Uh, with the case of Kane Hill, that was something that kind of came to us. Um, it came to my producing partner Tony Cook um, as a as a first draft story uh, written by a writer called Michael James Dean, um, and it was it was an interesting story and that. The, the writer of that wanted me to direct it, um, and when it first came to me, stories have to kind of, without sounding a bit cliche, they have to kind of call out to me a little bit, and there was elements there that would have, I'm sure, made an interesting story, but I thought, okay, this is a good basis. If we can adapt this, flesh it out, make some changes, then it will be, then it, we can make it something that's, that's really quite, you know, that, that I would be much more interested in, in kind of getting behind. And uh, and so that's exactly what we did in this situation. The uh, I did um, some heavy rewrites um, initially, and then I brought Tony on board uh, to do a draft as well. And that's pretty much how we went with that um, between Tony and I. We kind of fleshed it out into pretty much what it is now. Um, and as you know, at the moment we're uh, a few weeks away from completion of the project altogether. And you know, we're we're pretty pleased with it. And as I say, that's that's come from you know a kind of natural development really of it coming from another writer then to us development further from there and then the natural development that project goes through when you're actually filming itself because you make changes you know based on on where you're shooting things like that because when you you're writing you've got ideas in mind of exactly how you think somewhere it's going to look or how, how you see it in your mind sitting as a writer and director and then when you get to location because we shot it all on location there's certain things that you do have to adapt slightly because, you know, the way the location might be or things like that. Some things end up being compromised. Other things you end up seeing and thinking, oh, my God, that is so much better than I wrote it. And, and, you know, that's kind of, they're both equally great as a writer and director to be able to kind of take them and and be able to work with them and, and work with what you've got basically to try and, and get the best out of the story. Yeah,
0: and rumor has it, uh, after those rewrites, there you have some nods to some some classic horror movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween, just like yeah. kind of a tip of your hat a little bit, which is is, is yeah, awesome. Yeah,
2: there are. The thing with Cain Hill is that, that's what, that one of the main things when it came to me is it was, as it was, it was very much kind of like um, a modern slasher, which I think audiences, I can only speak from my perspective really but audiences in general have have slowed down for modern slashers and sales aren't quite what they were in comparison to other genres i personally have got a little bit tired of that kind of modern slasher thing just seems a bit too a bit too plastic a bit too you know high screaming sure the jump and, scare uh, and, and so yeah <laughs> I, yeah that's it and that's i found jump scares just a bit too you know they weren't tense anymore you know, there wasn't a single jump scare in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, but my God, you sat there through the whole thing. You know, you know, tense, and that was the one thing for me. Is when it came to me, I said, okay, if, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to direct a horror, it needs to be something different. And by different, I mean that in relative filmmaking terms, which actually means go back to doing something else someone's already done. <laughs> and, um, and that's that's really what we did with this. I said, okay. I am a big fan of those kind of earlier films, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, and even as as far as, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you know, that's the kind of era I'd like to to kind of go back to if we can. And it's been a while since those have been done effectively. So, you know, that's the kind of, I want it to be be more tense rather than just an occasional jump that makes you laugh next to the person who, who just jumped at the same time. I'd rather you sit there Kind of and forget about the person sat next to you because you're too concerned about worrying what's going on screen. Sure, and that that's what I wanted to to do with this. And so that's because ultimately the story led to it was it was a result of wanting to to reference those those horror movies that that we all used to love. That's why I wanted to give them a bit of a visual reference as well. So there are a few visual things um, that we've that we've taken some obvious and some less obvious. Um, that that hopefully the will will pick up on even if it's just afterwards you know they might read some trivia and go ah I didn't spot that all the time these <laughs> are the best bits of of uh of trivia and references for me the ones you don't aren't so glaring
0: right right uh, y- and the other thing i love too and and this is something i think as we're seeing a younger group of creative directors coming up you I, if i read i read here that you utilize drones for some unique Shots indoors, which I, I mean, drones have been yep. used for outdoor shots, but indoors, mm-hmm. I thought was a very creative. I'm looking forward to seeing the film. Just even based on that, uh, what what made you decide to try and use the, the drones indoors?
2: Um, the, the exact moment that I thought that I I can't shed any light on whatsoever. <laughs> um, all I can tell you is is that at some point I thought that would be quite cool because one, one thing I, I initially wanted to, or decided about the character, is that this main killer that's in this, he's a really mysterious guy called Chester Lockhart, and who's an ex-inmate that never went away uh, long after the, the asylum closed its doors. Sure. But this guy is, is he's a giant, an actual giant. You know, the that plays him is seven foot tall. <laughs> and so I said, you know, not many people have that Point of view as to how things kind of look from that perspective. Um, so, I wanted to get some kind of POV shots of just how slight different angles, different heights, can can look different. So, in the in the movie, we've got some, we've got a lot of the shots that are from uh, everyone else who's in the asylum from their angle and point of view. So, I thought you know the juxtaposition when we see it from that higher point of view, it's a visual cue that you know we're seeing it from his point of view. Then, wow. Um, but also because he's kind of is a little bit mysterious. I figured rather than having it either handheld or on a steady cam, I thought it would be quite cool if we could and I wasn't even sure if we could at that point, but use drones instead. So have a drone like walking through the hallway, you know, as as his eyes basically. Sure. But I thought that might be quite in- quite interesting and see if we could do that. And you know, the the team did a great job and we had uh, a this fantastic drone pilot. Um and we we pulled it off, we got some some fantastic drone shots, um, both indoors and outdoors, some more more regular kind of outdoors, and then a few of the ones indoors, which I really wanted to try as well, which actually worked really well and i'm I'm really pleased with with how they turned out.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Um, and and if I could touch on 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 another film you're working on, it seems like you're such a busy mm-hmm. guy. So again, I appreciate you calling in. Um, Dark Ascension, and from what I understand, yeah. this is a first of a, a the first of a trilogy. Um, That's fine. And what I what I thought was awesome, aside from the story, I thought there was some mm-hmm. some neat uh, actors that you got involved, especially because we're around the same age. So we probably grew up with. You know American Pie, uh, and you got ta- yep. Tara Reid in this, and I'm just wondering. Yeah, we did. I, um, you know, obviously Sharknado, you know th- that stuff. But I always remember her from 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 films like when when we were kids, right, or, or early teenagers. Yeah. So how how is that as an adult? You know, that's kind of like meeting somebody you've seen on the silver screen. Maybe it's maybe maybe it's not a big deal now that you've done it
2: so much. But that's kind of a cool mm-hmm.
0: get, Tara Reid. I always I think
2: yeah i, I mean we, i'm always pleased whenever it comes to anything ultimately i'm 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 a film fan and i think film fans make the best filmmakers and uh and that's not saying i'm the best filmmaker by i means. what i mean by that is that you know i'm still um excited by the process and the, the best filmmakers i've ever met you know no matter how high you go up up the ladder i think the more excited they are even if they've been in it you know 20 30 years they, they end up making the best filmmakers because, you know, they enjoy films. They love being part of them. And so far, touch wood, I'm, I'm, I'm still very much in that category. You know, I, I love making films because I, I love films in general. I love watching them. Um, so, so being part of the process is always, always has been and, and hopefully always will be a privilege for me. So whenever it comes to, to production, I'm always, you know, the first to get excited when, when we land a new casting or anything like that. And and I love the process of casting and speaking to my casting director and saying, okay, we've got this role, you know, who who would be good for it? And we we go through the through the normal options of okay, this this is the kind of we have two lists of who's really attainable for the budget that we've got and who would we really like? And you go for the ones you'd you'd really like first. And sometimes, you know, they're the ones that you really like are either too busy, too expensive, um, unavailable, whatever. Uh, but sometimes the ones in your really like list end up. Being one of the ones that you can get and it all works out and you know that's that's so exciting when that happens and you know when you are able to get someone that that you really like it's it's you know I, i'm as i i'm the most excited about that when that happens it's always a great thing sure and um, and it, it's it's been the same with everyone that we've got on board i'm i'm really pleased with the the cast that we've got for for dark ascension um because up and down what we wanted to do was have more of an ensemble Rather than you know your standard leaves, because it's a big epic story that, as you say, is the first part of a trilogy that takes place in this whole land which hasn't really been used to its you know full potential before. This whole afterlife of you know it's a blank canvas for for, for a director. That's and awesome. And I'm, I'm so excited about that because <laughs> there's this lands, there's creatures, there's any amount of things that we can we can populate this place with. And so you know it, it's. It's, it was a shame to, you know, just have a couple of, you know, your lead and your, and your supporting. So that's why we decided, you know, let's let's kind of spread that out of it and and have as much of an ensemble as we can. And that's we've been so lucky that we've been able to achieve that because, uh, yeah, Tara Reid, um, so good, and she is so up for the project. When it came to Tara, I was, because I, as, as you say, you know, we grew up with with Tara Reid, thinking. So, so when it, it came to the point of, you know, we're going to meet her and talk about it, I was like, you know, what's, what's she going to be like? You know, because you have you meet some people and they're nothing but a pleasure. And then you get some people and you're really disappointed.
0: Yeah, a little difficult.
2: Um, Tara was absolutely not... Yeah, Tara was not like that at all. We met out with Tara and her agent. Um, we went for lunch together and she was just so on board and excited about the project straight from the get-go. And, you know... As, as a director that's the, the greatest thing you can ask for when, when they're on board because you know i i always take along a folder that's got like production art so i can talk to the cast so they can kind of visualize the the story and their character and she was just so positive and, and excited about it and you know that that it then works both ways because then that makes me more excited and, you know over the course of a lunch by the end of the lunch you know we're both like excited children while we're our producer and her agent sat there thinking, like, "All right, calm down, calm down." <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and it, and it sounds like it's going to be an exciting, an, an exciting project. And, and it, uh, I think yeah. that one—I don't—are you—are you, you think you're going to be able to hit the the December 2017? It looks like that one's
2: going to be coming out. Yeah, it's, uh, the release dates are always kind of in flux because until we start production. Um, it's difficult to, to know which distributors are going to pick it up when. Sure. So we have to base that on a delivery date. So we will shoot the picture and have it delivered by such and such a date. Gotcha. And um, the distributor can then take that, and then they can decide, you know, actually it looks pretty busy in December, we'll leave it until March or, or April, you know, when it suits their release schedule, because they might have their own films that they don't want to pitch. Sure. You know, if they've just bought this film, they don't want to put it against something they've already got that's due for release then. So so they can they, they might move it around choose to put it somewhere else um which is every distributor's right and that's up how out works. so we only know when we can deliver it by and they choose to actually release that sometimes down to them sure um well. but yeah it's, it's always an, uh, an exciting pro- process to go through and uh, and yeah with Dark extension especially because you know it's it's kind of like my one of my dream cast it's like everyone that i want to work with you know aside from tara there's there's uh, Sean Young and and Bruce Campbell, you know, who doesn't with yeah, Bruce Campbell? Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Campbell. <laughs> so he's got a huge cool.
0: following here in the states. I imagine around the world, just I yeah, mean, he's a legend.
2: <laughs> All around the world, he he really is. He Yeah, you can't use any other word for him except legend. Yeah. And and in every way, he did this this amazing video for us for Comic Con when we announced that we were going to have him on board. And uh, he couldn't make it in person, but he did this video for us. Just a little video. I think it's on YouTube. And, uh, and, you know, he just does this, this piece. And other people do videos for Comic-Con and it's, you know, just hi, you know, hi Comic-Con, you know, sure. just a, a simple hello. Whereas Bruce went out his way to do this little clip where, you know, he had this guy walk up and interview him about the project. You know, cool stuff like that. And that's one of the things that, you know, really makes Bruce stand out like that. You know, he's, as I say, he's the kind of guy that I think everyone wants to work with in some way or another
0: yeah just a class act that's that's cool i'm looking forward to that one well going back to cane hill and i want to make sure we plug this Mm -hmm. properly so it comes Mm -hmm. out in theaters in april as from what i understand is that still still good
2: yeah that's a similar one like with dark extension um we our delivery um is just before the end of april so we'll deliver before then and then distributors uh, at that point can pick and choose when they'd like to for whichever regions. Sure. It looks like it'll be April here in the UK. Uh the US distributor um has got a finalized date, so we're still not quite sure which which dates it's gonna be released in the US. Uh but it should be definitely at some point um I imagine before uh the fall um for the US.
0: Well make sure you follow Gene on Twitter, uh at Gene Feliz. We'll uh We'll make sure we, we share that, and you can visit GeneFeliz.com and and and, and you can you can, you can can follow that. We'll be sure to stay on it to make sure that, that we can do our part to help promote the movie when it does release here in the States, because it really does look cool. Just from the trailer that's out, uh, it looks like one you're not going to want to miss, especially if you're a fan of horror films, and especially if you love horror films from back in the day. Uh, I think I think you're going to be very pleased with this, Gene. Um, if there's uh, if there's ever anything we can do to to, we'd love to have you on. We'd love to have you on to talk about other projects you have come coming. So when Dark Ascension comes out, we'd love to have you back on if you'd be willing. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you. But uh, and if you ever find yourself in 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 Chicago, please let us know because uh, we we'd love to have you. We're um, super uh, super excited. Uh, about your work and it's great to see a young up and comer, you know, really uh doing some amazing things and innovative things. It's really 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 a, a pleasure.
2: Wonderful. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that and thank you for having me on. Really appreciate your time.
0: All right, I know and uh yeah, best of luck with uh with Kane Hill and we'll keep an eye out for it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. All right, thanks Gene. Have a good night. Thank you.
2: Any bye. Bye bye.
0: Well there you have it, Gene Feliz. You can follow him on Twitter at Gene Feliz. you can also visit his website genefeliz.com or Uh Check out all the other films he's got going. Uh, very cool dude, and uh, we really appreciate everybody that called in today. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at Bill and Dave Show, Instagram at Bill and Dave Show, Facebook.com/slash The Bill and Dave Show. Thank you so much for listening. That's episode 42. We'll see you next time.